Since 1988, the U.S. Department of Energy has sponsored Advanced Vehicle Technology Competitions, or AVTCs, in partnership with North American Automotive Industry. Managed by Archon National Laboratory, the AVTCs represent a unique coalition of government, industry, and academic partners who join forces to execute North America's premier collegiate automotive engineering competitions. AVTCs provide a challenging, real-world training ground for North America's future engineers, business communication students, and automotive leaders, and they accelerate the development and demonstration of technologies of interest to the Department of Energy and the automotive industry. My name is JP Nelms, and I'm the project manager for the University of Tennessee's EcoCar Mobility Challenge team. Today, I'm sitting down with Mark Smith from the U.S. Department of Energy's Vehicle Technologies Office to discuss how the DOE has led the Advanced Vehicle Technology Competitions to evolve and meet the ever-changing needs of the automotive industry over the past 30-plus years. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you today. You've been involved with the Vehicle Technologies Office since 2010, working on the advent of advanced vehicle technologies, fuels, and materials. The VTO deals with technology areas of batteries, charging, and electric vehicles, energy-efficient mobility systems, and engine and fuels technologies, lightweight and propulsion materials, and technology integration. In the time since you joined the office 12 years ago, what have been the most remarkable changes that you've seen? Uh, great question, JP. Um, things are happening so quickly in the automotive industry today. And, and, and since the 12 years I've been at DOE, there have been rapid changes across all those areas you mentioned that we work on in the Vehicle Technologies Office. Um, I'll just briefly touch on some of those. So talked about uh, advanced combustion and fuels. Um, with all the work we're doing in batteries and electrifications, we'll, which we'll be touching on during this, during this podcast, we also continue to do a lot, a lot of work around the internal combustion engine. Uh, if you look at the internal combustion engine of today uh, compared to five or even 10 years ago, those engines have gotten smaller, but they've also gotten more, become more powerful. They've become more fuel efficient and they've become cleaner from an emission standpoint. And we see some of that work continuing as we transition from ICE engines and internal combustion engines to batteries and electrification. But we're also broadening that work in the combustions and fuels group to look at off-road applications. Uh, because many of the off-road applications, when you start looking at rail, marine, air, construction equipment, agricultural equipment, uh, those those are, are opportunities to electrify, but it's a bit harder to electrify those. So there's going to need to be probably a little bit longer of a, of a transition period for those, uh, for those uh, technologies to meet uh, those market segments. Um, uh, Energy Efficient Mobility Systems, or EAMS, you talked about, relatively new program for us in the Vehicle Technologies Office, about three years old. And that's really looking at the world of as uh, smart and connected mobility. Uh, so looking at, at, uh, at connected and autonomous vehicles, ride sharing, car sharing. And while a lot of those transportation models or, or methods that have come about uh, may seem like they're better housed in DOT, and they are. We work closely with our colleagues at DOT on, 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 those, uh, on those transportation models. There's also an energy impact. And being the Department of Energy, the one thing we're trying to understand and manage uh, is what are the energy impacts of these new transportation technologies. We actually had our national labs do a bounding study a handful of years, a handful of years ago, and we found that if those uh, those new transportation models, again, ride sharing, car sharing, connected on automated vehicles, if left on check, we could actually see over a 200% increase in energy use. Uh, but, if, but if managed properly, we could see a 60% decrease in energy use. 
So, so that's really a, a new area for us. And, and for us, that's really looking at transportation as a system. Um, mentioned batteries and electrification, a lot of work happening there in terms of looking at, at batteries. How do we address some of the challenges of batteries so that, that we can help accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles? And one of those gets down to, uh, to cost. We, we know that there's still an incremental cost between a battery electric vehicle and its traditional uh, gasoline counterpart. So we've been working with, with industry and academia for several years now to bring down uh, battery cost and continuing to do a lot of work there. Uh, for a, a, a battery pack, not, not, the, not the, the cost of the battery pack for a vehicle, wasn't that many years ago, that was up to about $1,000 a kilowatt hour. Uh, right now, as of today, I think we're down about an $140 to $150 range. And we think once we get below $100 uh, a, a kilowatt hour for the battery pack, that that can help get a battery electric vehicle on par cost-wise with, with its gasoline counterpart. So continuing to do work to drive down uh, the, the cost of batteries. Uh, doing a lot of work around, uh, around battery chemistries, the issue of, of range anxiety uh, is one that obviously plagues uh, both fleets and consumers alike as they look at battery electrification. Uh, so how do we look at, at trying to increase the range of batteries so it mimics what people are used to again, with, uh, with their gasoline vehicles. And then there's also a charging component to that. We're really trying to understand what is needed for charging, especially when you start looking at, at medium and heavy duty vehicles like transit buses and school buses and uh, class eight tractors, uh, that obviously the, the, the charging uh, is, is, uh, is much more of an impact uh, to, uh, to the fleet and, and to, it could have impacts on the grid. Uh, so looking at that aspect as well. Um, and then we're doing a lot of work around battery recycling and second life of batteries. Uh, so that we're really trying to understand if we can recycle batteries and take some of those, those critical minerals and wear else out of batteries, uh, that can be a lot cheaper and a lot more efficient for the supply chain than having those, those materials mined and, and refined to go into battery production. And then look, as I said, looking at some second life uses for batteries as well. Uh, so a lot happening in that area. And then uh, lastly, we talked about materials. Um, so that's an area that the, the office has worked on for quite a bit, looking at vehicles and how do you use things like uh, high-strength steels and aluminum and carbon fiber uh, to make vehicles lighter and thus more fuel efficient, but still keep the safety and the structural integrity of the vehicle. And then conversely, on the propulsion side or the drivetrain side, a lot of work there looking at, at, at different materials, different, uh, different types of alloys and that type of thing that can help uh, the powertrain, whether, whether it's in a transmission or an engine, uh, run more efficient and thus in, increase fuel efficiency. So kind of a, a quick overview, but, but a good deep dive of, of what we work on in, in, in the office. And then the program I manage is technology integration. And we really consider that the outreach education and deployment arm of the office. So uh, all these great things my colleagues are working on, uh, you know, there's a, there's a famous uh, or infamous saying uh, that a lot of the lab researchers have is, how do we take the work we're doing and get it across the valley of death and, and into the field and, into the, and to, be, to uh, be commercialized? And so that's what we try to do in the technology integration program is, is really try to, uh, through some demonstration and deployment uh, projects, validate those technologies. That's amazing. Thank you, Mark, for giving more insight into what your group deals with. And it's really fascinating hearing about all the variety of the different technologies and how you're looking at them from a systems perspective. You mentioned briefly V2X technology, which was really interesting to me because we deal with that a lot in the current eco-car mobility challenge. Uh, what do you see as some of the most interesting challenges and opportunities uh, related to this connected automated vehicles as well as that V2X technology 
you mentioned the potential for reduction in emissions, but also the added potential if it's not managed correctly for an increased energy use. Uh, but just from a starting over from a like technology perspective, what excites you the most about this V2X technology? Uh, so, so a lot of things. I think as we as we look as we look at batteries and electrification, um, you're already seeing if, if uh, on some of the TV commercials from some of the, the the traditional light duty original equipment manufacturers talking about using your vehicle to charge your house in, in the in the event of a power outage. Uh, but we look at it on, on a little bit bigger scale. Well, while we think that 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 vehicle to grid might be one model. Uh, we do look at it from the V to X standpoint, JP. So I was happy to hear you use that terminology. Uh, and by that, I guess what we're saying is we're, we're not limiting yet the vehicle to just the grid. Uh, we think there's opportunities, especially when you look at, at, at uh, commercial applications, um, you know, thinking about where you have, uh, you have a, a, major, a major fleet. Uh, a good example is uh, Frito-Lay at their facility out in Modesto, California. Uh, you know, when you think about the, the amount of uh, power it takes to, to bake uh, potato chips and, and, uh, and, not, and nacho chips, it's quite a bit of power, right? Then you add electric vehicles into that match. So now you've got a facility that, that is using a lot of electricity. And of course, one of the, the issues and one of the challenges for a lot of uh, fleets with electric vehicles is you can hit that point where you, you now start to incur those time of use or demand charges, which can suddenly make that, that business model case go awry. Um, so in a case like that, we see that V to X where maybe you have uh, on-site battery storage, and that on-site battery storage can be used to manage the loads, whether it's the vehicle charging load or, or the, the electric load coming from, uh, from the, the stationary source. So if that's a manufacturing facility or uh, you know, a large baking plant like a Frito-Lay. Uh, so we really see that uh, as really where you can make, make some big impacts. That's really fascinating to hear. Most people, I don't think, are really understand the significance of vehicle to grid. Um, that was something that I learned in my sustainable energy class here at graduate school at UT um, about the idea of peak shaving. Could you give just a little bit more input and, and give a little broader understanding of that technology for the people listening today? Sure. So uh, one of the things that happens, and I'm not uh, an expert on electric utility rates, but one of the things that happens uh, with an electric utility rate, especially for a, a commercial industrial application, uh, is that, race, that rate is based on, on so much usage. And if, if, that, if that usage peaks during certain times of the day, that's when these uh, demand charges get added onto the electric bill. Uh, and, and that's again, when suddenly the economics of maybe a, a, a company converting their fleet to electrification uh, can have an adverse effect because again, it gets back to how do you, how do you manage those, those loads properly? Um, you know, think about the same thing on your electric bill. If you're used to paying the same amount of money on your electric bill, but suddenly you're doing a lot of things during the day, uh, you know, you're charging some electric vehicles and it's a hot day and the air condition is cranking and you've got, you know, TVs on or whatever. Uh, and, and the, the electric company would say, wait a minute, you know, you've, you've gone over that, that rate. And so that puts you up into a higher, higher category. Uh, so that's what happens uh, again, a lot of times with, with commercial, uh, applications, fleet applications is, and, and it's, so it's kind of a lesson because typically when you, when you deal with a lot of fleet managers, uh, that's something they haven't had to worry about before. They have the facilities people on the other side of the, the house to kind of worry about, uh, about those issues. Um, so, so what we're saying is, is if you have that for the V to X, if you have that on-site battery storage, uh, that can help you, uh, with, with, you know, uh, smoothing out those demands. 
but also it gets uh, another step too. What we try to do is, is work with with fleets to really understand uh, charging windows uh, and charging opportunities. In other words, when do they really need? Does that vehicle need to be charged? Uh, you know, I, I had a, an old boss that used to say, because uh, I've been involved with the world of alternative fuel and advanced technology vehicles. My 12 years at DOE, as you mentioned, in the private sector for about 12 years before that. And so an old boss of mine used to say, you know, the problem we have is gasoline's been around for over 100 years and everybody's used to the convenience of a gasoline station, right? We, you never have to think about, geez, I, if I'm going on a trip, whether it's, you know, something local or I'm, you know, going, going to visit grandma, you never have to think about how do, I, how do I put energy into my car? Because, you know, there's gas stations everywhere. I think the last count, there's 160,000 of them across the country. Uh, but with but with EV battery charging, now you need to think about that a little bit as as a consumer, uh, but also for a fleet to think about that. Um, so so how do you really help fleets understand, you know, when's the best time for them to charge? Uh, and so if you have a, a fleet that of vehicles that that leave a, a central location every morning, uh, go out and come back at the end of the day and you can slow charge uh, those vehicles overnight, then you're going to avoid those peak rates uh, that that occurred typically during the, during the day. So, so it gets into a lot more than just the, the vehicle and the technology, but also really understanding, uh, you know, when, when are, how do you manage charging? And so there's a lot of work we do as well around, as we call it, smart charging or managed charging to, to again, help address some, some of those issues that we're talking about. That's really interesting, learning more about vehicles to grid and, and all the implementations of that into business models um, with, moving the cost of like perhaps like a marginal cost into um, from a overhead cost expenditure to you, that definitely could impact the business models there. Exactly. Um, that's fascinating. So it's really interesting hearing you speak more about how this technology becomes integrated. I want to ask you more about that a little bit later on uh, with perhaps the development of more charging stations to help with that range anxiety. Uh, but for now, back into the V2X, um, what do you see in your group as some of the challenges of deploying this V2X technology at scale? Yeah, so so a lot of it gets back to a lot of the work we do in the office. One is is really trying to understand, you know, what, what some of those technologies are, how they'll work, what maybe some of the challenges uh, are that we need to address, uh, trying to make it cost effective, right? I, I think the one thing that comes down to looking at, at electrification, whether it's for passenger car vehicles that you and I would drive, or if we're talking about you know, school districts with electric school buses or electric transit buses or, you know, class eight uh, tractors, uh, semi-tractor trailers you see going down the interstate. Um, how, how, does, how, do we make, how do we make that technology, first of all, cost effective and, and how do we make it reliable um, and, and, and accessible? Um, so it's, uh, again, kind of using that, that gasoline station analogy of, gosh, they've been around for 100 years and there's 160,000 of them uh, and we're all used to that. Uh, now we're talking about, you know, a whole different method of, of, uh, of putting energy into your car. I, I keep coming back to that term. Uh, and I was actually was talking to a, 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 an OEM car dealer uh, who, does, who they're quite successful with the, the BVs that they sell. And they had an analogy that, you know, if somebody comes into the dealership and buys a gasoline car, we don't have to take them to the gas station and tell them how to fill up their car. They know that. But if somebody's buying an electric vehicle, now there's a whole nother interface that takes place. And, and the same from the fleet side. So when we look at this V to X, it's, it's really part of a much broader education process. 
It's part of still trying to uh, validate and demonstrate a lot of these new technologies around smart charging, managed charging, on-site battery storage uh, to really, you know, display and, and show the, the kind of the best practices and the business models that can make this uh, an effective, impactful tool. Absolutely. So the advanced vehicle technology competitions really aimed at the development and demonstration of these technologies of interest to the DOE, um, like some of the ones we've been talking so far in this call about. Uh, from the EVTCs, we've seen over 27,000 alumni from 93 educational institutions um, as come, come from the program. In this current EcoCar Mobility Challenge series alone, students have produced 65 publications and 36 master's and PhD theses. With a legacy of impact of technology and science that's driving the automotive industry. Since your time of involvement with advanced vehicle technology competitions, which of these technology developments have you seen as the most impactful? Boy, a great question and hard to probably uh, just single one out because I think they, they've all been impactful. I think as you know, we were talking earlier about the work we do in the vehicle technologies office, uh, you know, that work has, has evolved obviously through, through many years, but, but the same thing, the impact that, that the, the competitions have had has also, also involved. So uh, it wasn't that many years ago when, when uh, uh, ethanol vehicles for biofuels was, uh, was, you know, that was kind of cutting edge. And so that was part of the competitions. And then a few years ago with the, uh, with the Camaro, it was looking at the uh, at, at kind of a, a hybrid type situation. How do, how do you have a car that's a performance car, but how can you still make it you know energy efficient and fuel efficient and, and uh, attract a lot of buyers that way? Uh, and now with the current competition, which you know COVID has had, had an impact on, and I feel so so sorry for all of you for all the teams because I know you really had to pivot and adjust, but, but all of you guys have, have done just a wonderful job in doing so. But that's looking at mobility as a service. And that kind of gets back to one of the things we were talking about with the energy efficient mobility systems is, is looking at those things like ride sharing and car sharing uh, and, and how that, that, how that impacts, impacts transportation, how it impacts mobility choices and accessibility. Uh, and then going forward, I, I can't tell you what's going to happen with the next round of competitions, but, but I, I do have some, some uh, knowledge of it, and, and it's going to be very exciting. So, uh, so I, I think as we see uh, you know, automotive technologies, whether it's alternative fuels, hybridization, electrification, as we see those things come into the marketplace, uh, it's just a, a natural fit for have the, the, uh, the AVCTC teams working on those, on those very technologies because it it, it brings uh, uh, fresh ideas and a new way of looking at things. Plus, as, as you know, uh, is one of the benefits of the program is, is that that training that's so necessary uh, for the next round of automotive engineers and, and DOE engineers, because we have uh, Stephen Boyd, who's my counterpart that manages our batteries and electrification team is a, is an EcoCar alum. So, uh, so it's important that, that we, you know, train the, the, the next generation of, uh, of, of, of engineers and, and communication specialists and others who, who go in, into these positions. Absolutely. Um, building off of what you said there about the main goals of the AVTCs is to prepare the next generation of automotive engineers. Um, according to the 2021 EcoCar Salary Survey, EcoCar students are expected to have hired into the automotive sector at a rate about two times higher than any other sector. And last year, 182 different companies hired an EcoCar student, which is uh, just a great figure to show is the impact of this program. Uh, 
and EcoCar students are participating on average when they land a new job earn about 5,000 more than their peers that did not participate in this program. Um, so it's a fantastic opportunity to get this training to these uh, individuals who are looking at careers in automotive engineering as well. Uh, these great things don't really happen without diligent perspective and design of these challenges to meet this change for engineers, computer scientists, and these business pro communication professionals that we've mentioned. How has the DOE kind of led the ABTCs to evolve to meet the changing needs of, of the automotive industry? You mentioned earlier competitions focused a lot more on alternative fuels, uh, which is a lot more the traditional mechanical engineering of the combustion reactions, but we're switching a lot towards this digitalization and mobility. Um, so how have you really seen um, this change happen within the ABTCs and, and guided the competitions to address this change in the workforce? Yeah, and, and I, you know, and it goes beyond just DOE. You know, one of the things that makes the Eco Car program and the student competitions uh, so impactful, and, and the numbers you just quoted uh, bear those out. Um, and every time I hear those, it, it just gets me thinking from a personal standpoint. Why didn't we have this when I was in school? But but we didn't. So, uh, but uh, but you know, again, we you know we we don't make those decisions in a vacuum. You know, GM has been a tremendous sponsor throughout the years with with the vehicles and the technical assistance they provide. Uh, we have MathWorks who steps up. Uh, Bosch is, a, is another sponsor. Uh, our colleagues at Argonne National Lab. Uh, so it really is a, a team approach to really, uh, you know, sitting down and, and really putting a lot of uh, thought into, you know, what, what's going to be relevant, what's going to be impactful, what's going to be attractive to, to schools and, and you as students to participate in. I think one of the things about uh, the EcoCar program that gets lost sometimes is that, uh, you know, it's it's not an extracurricular activity club uh, for students to participate in. Uh, there's there are curriculums around it. Uh, there's faculty in, involvement and commitments. There's commitments and involvement from the administration. So the schools that have participated in in, in the competitions throughout all the years play an integral part as well to that success because it, it's a huge commitment on their part and a huge commitment for you, the students, we realize that. So so very much a, a team approach to, you know, how, how we look at, at competition or how we look at, at the overall competition, uh, what the vehicle is going to be, what what the goals and objectives are of, of, the, of the competitions. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, had this this four year format we had for this this past go around. I think we we're four years before as well. Uh, is really meant to address that. So it's really meant to, to give everyone the time to make sure that uh, all the projects and, and, uh, and the results of the hard work the schools put in uh, are impactful and really meet the objectives of, of what we're all trying to achieve. For the engineers and uh, business professionals that are going to be listening to this podcast, what do you see as some of the top skills for them entering the workplace now and also four years from now? Well, certainly all the work that's going on around batteries and electrification and, uh, you know, I think you can probably pick up, uh, you know, any publication on, on a weekly basis and, and see the commitment that uh, is being made by car and truck manufacturers, not just uh, the light duty manufacturers, the traditional light duty manufacturers like GM who are making huge commitments to it and, and retooling plants. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing more and more of that happening now on the medium and heavy duty side with with transit buses. Uh, with uh, with you know class eight you know medium heavy duty vehicles that do uh, beverage delivery food delivery uh, you know so so I, I think that 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 need to really have engineers who understand batteries battery chemistry electrification uh, to understand the integration of of the vehicles with charging but then also what impact does, does that have on the grid um, 
Uh, so I think from an engineering standpoint, that looks at that. Uh, and then I, I look at it from, uh, I'm probably one of the few non-engineers in, in my office, a uh, guy with a business degree. Uh, but but how do we, you know, again, how, how do we look at, at some of the other uh, challenges of introducing new technologies? Um, you know, anytime you introduce a new technology, there, there are always, regardless if it's a phone, a computer, a car, uh, you know, there are always the early adopters who are willing to kind of put up with maybe some of the inconveniences that just naturally come along with that. Uh, but how do we how do we smooth that out and, and how do we try to make uh, that, that shift uh, seamless and, and really help educate consumers and educate fleets uh, about about these these vehicles, these technologies, how they can work for them? Uh, again, it's 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 a it's a new challenge because with electrification, we're having to teach people how to how to charge their vehicle, how to get energy into their vehicle, which we haven't had to haven't had to do before. But that's why I think uh, a lot of the work that we do in technology integration and a lot of work that the EcoCar program has done throughout the years really is is to help validate and demonstrate how these technologies can work for consumers. Um, so so that's that's really an important part is uh, is being able to uh, you know help help build consumer awareness. Um, and that has to be done through a lot of outreach, a lot of education, a lot of, you know, marketing, if you will, to a certain extent. Um, so, uh, so while, you know, there's a heavy focus in, in the competitions with, with the engineering side, uh, we've seen that, that that communication side and outreach side is also important. Uh, again, it goes back to the analogy I used from the researchers of, we can develop all these great technologies, but if they just sit on the shelf in the lab, they're, they're not doing any good, right? So how do, we, how do we get those out into the public and make them aware of it? I'm glad you mentioned that about technology development and getting it out there and into the market and having people use it, because that's really where you get the benefits of the hard work that these teams and the AVTCs are aimed at. Uh, we have worked on some community outreach and things with our team. We were at a Fulton High School, local school here in Knoxville last Friday, um, teaching kids about the technology that we're developing and hoping to get them interested in careers in engineering. Um, but the impact of the broad AVTC challenges on the communities that they're in is something that is definitely significant. Um, there's been 798 student-led presentations to community or campus groups within uh, over 445,000 people in attendance of these events in aggregate. Uh, these events really increase the awareness of the community towards these alternate fuels and with eco-car competitions show that the hyperelectric vehicles can have the same competitive performance, like you mentioned with the Camaro, as conventional vehicles. Our Camaro got a lot of traction here on campus. People got really interested in it. Um, we had an easy job with recruitment uh, because everyone wanted to, you know, see them work with the vehicle and, and hopefully they'd wish they could have driven it. Uh, but really, that impact on the community um, is definitely been significant. And how do you see the AVTCs um, having an impact on the mind of the consumer? And the second part of that question is, and how does the DOE really structure uh, with the work you mentioned doing with the vehicle technology um, integration, um, getting it out there into the consumers? How do you really structure that um, work to get it in the mind of the consumer? Yeah, uh, a lot of different ways to go out that. I'll, I'll answer the first part of the question in terms of, of from uh, from the, the, the competition standpoint. Uh, you know, uh, people will ask me a lot of times about EcoCar, and, and they say, well, geez, EcoCar, it sounds like that's a program that really uh, focuses on workforce development. 
I go, well, yeah, workforce development for the, 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 the facts that you stated earlier, but also STEM, you know, how, how do we continue to attract more and more people to, to, to the STEM professions? And uh, so, so I think EcoCard checks those two boxes very well. But, I, but the outreach that the teams have done in the community uh, also is very important because, again, it brings that consumer awareness that people see these vehicles and realize that, that they do exist and, and, and they, can be, they can be attainable and available to them. Um, so, again, that, that builds that, that awareness with, uh, with the consumers, with the people who are out buying cars. But even more important in my mind is is the work being done in schools. And I know throughout the years, a lot of the, the outreach events that you guys have done, you know, with high schools and, and even middle schools and grade schools, uh, you know, those are, you know, those those are the future also. Uh, you know, not that you and, and, and your team members and colleagues aren't, uh, but those are the people coming behind. And uh, again, so, so how do you start in their minds, you know, kind of planting that seed of, you know, Here's what here's what you might be able to do one day. You might be able to, you know, if you, you know, if, if you have an interest in this, if you, this is a this is a profession you could go to, or this is something you can study in college. Uh, so again, looking at that STEM part of the equation, uh, that's a that's a great way to say how do we how do we bring you know new minds into STEM? How do we uh, make sure that that students know that STEM is something that they can attain to and it can be accessible to them. Uh, and it, it's accessible to uh, you know a wide variety of, of people. It has to be, you know the STEM jobs have to look like America. Um, so so how do we make sure that that minorities and underrepresented communities and others uh, can have access to to those positions? So so going out into the schools and doing that outreach into the community and education is, is a critical part of that. Um, the second part of your question, yeah, go ahead if you had some follow up on that. I was just going to interject and mention that in the EcoCar EV Challenge, the diversity, equity, and inclusion is going to be really in the spotlight uh, with a diversity, equity, and inclusion manager in every single team's leadership. Um, so obviously, the Department of Energy recognizes DEI as a cornerstone of effectively advancing the U.S. research and scientific innovation enterprise. Um, and so a tangential question, I know we're in the middle of two other questions right now, um, but what role do you see as the ABTC's ABTC is having um, in making this change for better in the engineering and automotive industry. Sure, I, I think you know we touched on the outreach and, and things that that the ABTCs can do for that. But then uh, for the ABTCs teams themselves, you know how how on on campus, what can you do to recruit uh, more minority uh, representing uh, students uh, to the team uh, to help build that? I, I think you know one of the the uh, um, lines. Uh, Michael Berby, our Deputy Assistant Secretary for Transportation uses, and I use it too, is, you know, how, how do we make everything look like the rest of America? And so, so I think, you know, the EcoCar teams can do that two-prong through those outreach events we talked about and through just the recruitment and interaction you have with, with other students on campus to, to bring them into that. And, and the DEI, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that that is not just something from the Vehicle Technologies Office uh, that we're just focusing on with EcoCar. All the work we do across the Vehicle Technologies Office has a DEI component. The work we're doing all across DOE has a DEI component. And this all focuses from an initiative, uh, or an executive order, pardon me, that President Biden signed uh, about a year or so ago, uh, which basically says that 40% of the benefit of all federal resources has to reach underserved and underrepresented communities. 
Um, and so that plays very nicely with work we were already doing before that, because I think, as we've been talking about with some of these new technologies, you know, you have to make them available to everybody. Everybody has to have access to them and they have to be affordable. Um, you know, when you look at transportation, other than uh, behind uh, the cost of, uh, of, of a home or rent or a mortgage payment, the next highest cost uh, a family has is transportation. Uh, so for introducing these new transportation technologies, how do we make sure that, again, they're accessible, but, but they're also affordable? Um, so, so that DEI component, uh, again, spreads across uh, all the work we're doing in DOE and, and is very critical. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that aspect of the benefits of these mobilities of service and alternative transportation models um, and the potential that they have for helping out those underserved in the community. Um, for those that may not be familiar with mobilities of service as a business model, I like to think of it in the framework of a quote from Harvard Business School professor Theodore Levitt, who said that people don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole. <laughs> and so through selling transportation as a service, um, you cut out that middle man and, and get people from purchasing a vehicle, paying all the insurance fees and maintenance costs, um, and doing responsible for that, all that upkeep, they can focus on the benefit that it has for them, which is taking them from point A to point B um, conveniently and efficiently. Um, so that's absolutely at the heart of what we're doing. And I think that those elements of it make are what makes this work really inspiring for, for people like, such as myself uh, to be a part of this program. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Yeah, that at, at the heart, at, at the end of the day, that's what transportation is all about, right? To get from point A to point B, whether that's to get you from home to class, from home to a job, from home to a medical appointment, what have you. Uh, and, and so how, how do you do that in a way that, that is, you know, energy efficient, clean, cost effective, uh, convenient and accessible? Uh, I, I like the analogy about the, the quarter inch drill versus the quarter inch hole. I'm, I'm going to remember that one. That's great. We learned that one in uh, our business marketing class uh, to really get on what does the consumer actually want. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So looking at the EcoCar EV challenge that's coming up in the fall of 2022, there's there's a lot of buzz about the new technology that's being used. Um, the challenge is going to be focused on the development of connected and automated vehicles with V2X technology, along with further refined powertrain and thermal systems with the electric vehicles. Uh, through this development, students will be working directly on this technology that's essential to meeting the decarbonation needs of the automotive industry. Uh, first off, EVs are fantastic, have a lot of potential for improving the environment in terms of carbon emissions, but uh, they're not the full picture in terms of emissions when you look at it from a well-to-wheels uh, scenario. Uh, you have to get the energy from somewhere. Where do you see this energy and how does the work that your group does integrate with the broader initiatives of the Department of Energy of developing this clean energy um, and decarbonization of transportation? Yeah, a great question. And uh, one that uh, some of our colleagues and some of the other offices around DOE are working on. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, the administration has set a goal that we have, we have to decarbonize the transportation sector by 2050. That also means decarbonizing the grid. So a lot of work has been happening that around that area for many years. Obviously, a lot of hydropower is available, especially you get in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so you have hydro there. Uh, there's been a switch uh, over the, the years from, from coal to natural gas, which has helped to clean that up. And it looks like probably the next big things that are, that are starting to happen and will continue to happen is, is looking at, at more renewables and how do you get more renewables into the grid. Uh, we talked about hydro, but also looking, looking at wind and solar. And, and getting those onto the grid. So 
uh, that that wheel to wells analysis is 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 very very important. Uh, but it gets to the the challenge of of trying to decarbonize transportation. Uh, you know, again, the president and the secretary of energy. Uh, are focused on the goal of we need to decarbonize the transportation sector by 2050. And that's all elements of transportation, on-road and off-road vehicles. And when we sit here, you know, in 2022, you go, well, gosh, that's a long ways away. Why is it going to take so darn long? Well, part of it is is how the, the rate at which vehicles turn over in this country. Uh, so we talk about the passenger car market or light-duty vehicles. You know, I think there's a, a approximate numbers about 255 million light-duty vehicles registered in this country. Uh, each year, new car sales are probably somewhere in the 15 million to 17 million range. So 15 million to 17 million cars being sold each year. So you just do the math. You just just divide the 15 million and 255 million, and you're looking at that 15 to 17 years to get the whole fleet of, of light-duty uh, passenger vehicles to turn over. And then when you look at, at heavy-duty vehicles, look at things like uh, – uh, UPS with the, the brown delivery trucks that come uh, and, and deliver uh, packages. Uh, typically, they keep those trucks for about 20 years or so. Uh, transit and school buses are on the road for 12 or 15 years. So if we're going to be decarbonizing transportation and have the whole, car, the whole transportation sector decarbonized by 2050, that means these technologies have to be developed, uh, commercialized, and being adopted by consumers and fleets alike. By the early 2030s, so you know, kind of, kind of a you know, it's kind of an eight to ten year window to develop these. So, and again, this kind of goes back to the things that 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 we work on with competitions. And you mentioned, you know, what what we're thinking, what what the next round of competitions is going to be. This helps to make that transition and and to get these technologies developed. So, um, uh, a big challenge. And again, you know, at first when we say you know, decarbonize by 2050, it's like, oh, geez, got plenty of time. But when you step back and say, well, these are the steps we need to take so that we're doing this. So by, you know, as I said, eight to 10 years from now, consumers are, are purchasing these vehicles. And it's not just it's much because right now I think EVs account for maybe about two or three percent of the market right now. Uh, but if we're going to decarbonize, uh, we've we've got to we've got to get busy and again, make these technologies, uh, you know, uh, Cost effective uh, and, and and accessible to all. Absolutely. If my time as project manager of ET's team taught me anything, it's that deadlines are always a lot closer than they yeah. appear. And that eight, eight years is not a long time uh, to make this transition and develop these technologies, uh, which is one of the great things that's um, really exciting about the Clean Energy Core, which is uh, really aimed at supercharging this energy transition. Uh, could you tell us more about the DOE's Clean Energy Corridor and how that intersects with the decarbonization of the transportation industry. Sure. One of the things I, I think that uh, the Secretary of Energy has realized, and it's true across other federal agencies, is um, with with the funding that's coming to the agencies, uh, and, and a lot of that through the bipartisan infrastructure law that was recently passed. Um, and so if anybody needs to uh, find something else to be reading, you can read the bipartisan infrastructure law, which I think is about 1,200 pages. Uh, the White House has a condensed version on their website that I think is about 400 pages. Uh, but, but there's a lot of great stuff in there. And so there's, there's a lot of work. Uh, we were talking before about batteries, uh, tremendous amount of work looking at batteries, not only, uh, you know, battery chemistries, battery recycling, second use of batteries but also looking even a step further back on what do we need to do to build a supply chain in, in this country? Because right now, most of the batteries uh, being used are, are manufactured outside of the U.S. 
And so, so how do we how do we build that industry up in in this country? So, uh, so those so tremendous num number of provisions in the bipartisan infrastructure law to address that. Uh, another provision of the bipartisan infrastructure law is uh, building up a joint office that was recently announced between the Department of Energy and the Department of Transportation, and that will focus on on three things. Uh, one of those is uh, the 500, the goal that the administration has to get 500,000 EV chargers in, in, the, in the marketplace and in the ground, I should say, by 2030. Uh, the other is to look at uh, the, the programs uh, that are available through the bipartisan infrastructure law to electrify transit buses and also a similar program to electrify uh, school buses. And so, uh, and, and there's many more uh, that, that cross over us at not only our agency, but the Environmental Protection Agency, Department of Transportation. Uh, but much as we talked about, again, the, the role that AVTC can play with, with jobs, uh, the issue that we have is, uh, again, realizing, you know, looking at those goals and that reverse engineering we did of how quickly we need to move uh, to get these things done. Uh, now we have, you know, these opportunities with all these provisions and the bipartisan infrastructure law. Okay, guess what? Another resource we need. We need people. We, you need the brain power. And so, uh, so the Secretary of Energy, Secretary Granholm, uh, kicked off the, the Clean Energy Corps, uh, which is an opportunity to uh, have folks uh, submit their resume uh, to the bipart to that that site. At, uh, I believe it's cleanenergycorps.gov, uh, and you can uh, look at a variety of opportunities. It, it's it's really important because again, we we need to we need to make sure that we're we're moving quick, but to make sure that we get. Uh, we, we get the, the the right expertise for for all these opportunities that lie be, be, be ahead of us. So so great opportunities and really need to see because a lot of times uh, with all things uh, with the government sometimes there's a, a bit of bureaucracy and things don't move as quick as people would like them and and, and I'll be the first one to raise my hand with that. But I think the the Clean Energy Corps is a way to really uh, speed up that process and to really make sure we're we're attracting the best and the brightest and and more importantly getting them on board to help with. Uh, all the great work that needs to be done so we can meet these goals. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Mark, for giving a little bit more input in terms of what actions are being taken to get these technologies into the market and into the hands of the consumers um, to get them on the road and reducing our emissions. Um, so we're getting closer on time. I want to wrap up on this with a couple fun questions for you uh, to get away from the, some of the deep technology that we've been talking about. Um, so first off, it's still kind of related to the AVTCs, but what has been your favorite advanced vehicle technology competition and why? Absolutely. Our team still takes a lot of great pride in that Camaro that we produced in the last competition. And uh, we're hoping to live up to that reputation this year with the Blazer. So a uh, little different goals this time, but absolutely, that's fantastic. 
Yeah, I, I keep I keep I keep pressuring the GM guys. I go, when are you going to give the teams a Corvette? And they they give me a dirty look. So, but but I'm I'm lobbying for you. So <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. Um. So another question. Um. Just generally for people listening to this podcast. Um. You know, eco car teams typically consist of students that are approaching graduation and are looking for their first real job outside of college. What advice would you give to senior students as they consider the next? their first step in this career? Oh boy. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a challenging one. Um, I, I think to be open-minded and I think to realize that, that your first step into your career is not your final step. Um, I, I know in my career out of school, uh, you know, we're ambitious and energetic and, and keep that. Uh, but, but just realize that's, that's the first step uh, and make the most of it. Um, I, I look back to uh uh, my my first job out of college and and uh, some of the folks I met that I still keep in touch with. Uh, so uh, so so it's an opportunity to to learn to grow uh, to make make friends professionally and personally. Uh, and so just uh, in, enjoy the experience. It, it's it's a transition, you know, uh, from school, right? Just kind of probably like you found from from high school to college. Uh, there's that similar transition as. Uh, as you go into the real world, if you will, not, not that you guys aren't, but, but, you know, that's kind of a, you know, a, 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 a sarcastic way to put it, but not meaning to sound sarcastic, but, but yeah, just uh, make, make the most of it and realize uh, you've got a lot of opportunity ahead of you and, and it's okay to make changes. Uh, you know, you're going to be working for a long time and it's so important to be working, doing something uh, that, that you love and that you're passionate about. Uh the money is important. The benefits, all those other things are important. But but first and foremost, uh, really to make sure that, that it's something you're passionate about. And so that getting up and going to work isn't getting up and going to work. You know, somebody once told me in a cynical mood, they go, well, you know, there's a reason they call it going to work because it's work. It's like, boy, if you feel that way, you know, you're, you're going to be miserable for a long time. So 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 make sure you find your passion and you follow that. That that, that would really be my 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 simple advice. Love it. Thank you so much, Mark. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation about technology um, and the work that your group does. Once again, uh, fantastic hearing about the Clean Energy Corps. I encourage anyone that's interested in that to apply. Um, and we really look forward to staying in touch and continuing this conversation. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you for, my, for your time. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it. And hopefully we'll see you at competitions in May. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Take care, folks. Thanks again. Thank you.